Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. It's believed that RH negative initially stemmed from Cro-Magnon Man, which is precisely that the primate that the Anunnaki inseminated or took sperm from to create humans. If Cro-Magnon Man was in fact RH negative, then that would help to explain partially the reason why there is 15% of humans have RH negative. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, Go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. My guest is passionate about the study of human evolution and extraterrestrial intervention in the human experience. He's been influenced by such researchers as Eric Von Daniken and Zechariah Sitchin. He's here to present evidence that we are the product of ET genetic manipulation. He's concluded that extraterrestrial beings known as the Anunnaki visited Earth starting around 450,000 years ago and genetically altered early humans. He considers the Anunnaki to be gods rather than God, and suggested they correlate with the fallen angels or Nephilim described in the Bible. The Anunnaki made several different versions of Adam and Eve. They tweaked and tweaked until they got it right, he says, adding that DNA manipulation involved the fusing of the 45th and 46th chromosomes. He says there's physical evidence on our planet that we've been visited and interacted with, such as gold mines in South Africa dating back 250,000 years, monoliths and megaliths, such as Stonehenge, technology like 
the Antikythera mechanism and the Baghdad battery and the Nazca lines, which can only be seen from an aerial view. Leon Bibby is the author of Adam Equals Alien, Volume 1. He's an historian and a researcher of archaeology, human and ancient history, biology, Egyptology, and religious philosophy. He's an adjunct professor of alternative science featured and a featured guest on Coast to Coast AM, and he will be featured in an upcoming episode of the History Channel's Ancient Alien series. His latest book is Adam Decoded, Volume 2. Leon, how are you? Well, thanks, uh, Richard. Thank you very much for having me. We've talked quite a bit about Zachariah Sitchin. I had him on the program many, many years ago. And just recently, we also talked about the, the Anunnaki. I wanted to get your perspective on uh, the planet Nibiru. Now, you lay out some evidence that the existence of Nibiru has been established. It's a brown dwarf. Talk to me a little bit about the the evidence that this this planet actually exists. Right. So both the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times refer to Nibiru as Planet X. And uh, the planet has been captured by the Hubble telescope, um, as well as actually been seen in the north um, from Norway uh, at certain times of the year. Um, it's definitely within our solar system, within the Milky Way. It lies four times the distance from outside of Pluto as Pluto is to the sun. Uh, it's, a, it's a very large planet, 44,000 uh, miles long. Um, it comes into an elliptical orbit every 3,600 years between Mars and Jupiter. Um, and it has a lot to do with, um, with Earth's original unicellular organism growth. Meaning, when it originally, supposedly, according to Sitchin, knocked into Earth Tiamat, um, it sort of fused, um, and cells were exchanged. And uh, the Earth then became unicellular 500, 500 million years after that. So simply because of its close proximity when it swings by on this elliptical orbit, that in itself uh, aided in sort of the, let's call it the evolutionary process. Is, is, that, yeah. is that the gist of it? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think, you know, it goes further than panspermia. Um, which was Crick's theory. Um, right. it, it, it's more, it's more of a, a, a direct intervention, I guess you'd say, a direct exchange, um, of DNA. And, and, uh, you know, the DNA piece is, is really the key, um, to solving the mystery of the missing link. Now, you see, you point out something very interesting in, uh, Adam Decoded about Nibiru, and that is that the symbol for that planet is a cross. How do we know that? Yeah, so it's very interesting. I always, you know, thought about the the cross in in Christianity and um, its depiction everywhere on Earth, and um, it was depicted in the Sumerian tablets as the planet of the crossing. That's that's what it was called, um, and the reason it's called that is because it came into our orbit between Mars and Jupiter every three thousand six hundred years, and three thousand six hundred is the sexadecimal system, which was um, which was key in the Sumerian. Um, arithmetic and geometry and the way that they put together their mathematics. Um, and so it basically crossed into our orbit and um, basically causes a lot of flux and a lot of gr- gravitational pull and problems uh, among the planets, especially Earth, 
I think it had a lot to do with the flood, uh, uh, supposedly 12,000 years ago. Um, and the, it's, that's why it's called Planet of the Crossing. And the, the orbit, uh, every time it swings by, what, what is the, um, the approximate, um, the timing in terms of its encounter with our planet? Every, is it 36,000 years? Every 3,600. 3,600, my apologies. Every 3,600. If you were to, if you were to put a timeline together of major cataclysmic events on the Earth, you mentioned the, the flood. Um, we could talk about ice ages and so forth. Uh, we could talk about major tectonic activity, major volcanic activity. Would it line up with the orbit of uh, Nibiru and its encounter with Earth? I, I think so. I think it has a lot to do with it. I think starting from single cell in my timeline and uh, Adam, Adam equals alien, uh, I, I lift a timeline from pages one through six. Um, it, first, it first starts out at 3.9 billion years ago, single cell bacterial development. And then uh, there is multicellular bacterial development, 400 million B.C., um, ice ages do coincide with its elliptical orbit between Mars and Jupiter. So we do see, and I'll list the ice ages um, that are listed in the, in the timeline. There's initially uh, a planetary pole shift, 50,000 B.C., which is 1,000 years, supposedly 1,000 years after Nibiru came, came into our orbit. The second... Uh, was the cataclysm flood, 11,500, which coincides to within 500 years of the next shift. Um, and then the last was, well, um, the last could, could be, um, could have been 6,000 BC. So it does, it does, it does wrap around that same, you know, timeline. Right, right. And when is, ex- when is it expected to swing by again, roughly? <laughs> so hopefully never, but um, I, I listed in my in, in my book that I think it's going to swing at 3100 A.D. Not till 3100. All right. Right. Uh, so th- th- these claims that it's 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 coming by and it be, it can be spotted by and it has been spotted by various um, amateur. Uh, astronomers and so forth, and there was even a conspiracy theory that some of them have been uh, knocked off to prevent this information from from leaking out. I mean, is it visible from any? Could it be visible at this point from any telescope? I think so. Um, I, I, I've seen pictures of it from Earth, so I, I believe that you know Hubble for sure, um, and I believe certainly the telescope in, in New Mexico. Um, the Vatican telescope, you know, some of those larger scale telescopes, I'm sure, have pictures of it already. Um, the fact that the, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal have both um, printed the fact that it's called, calling it Planet X, saying that it, it contains carbon, uh, nitrogen, uh, and oxygen, um, and the fact that it's a, a similar body to Earth, uh, definitely, to me, uh, foretells that... The, the people in the know know. <laughs> and uh, I, I think if they do know about the Sumerian tablets and, and what the Sumerian tablets have said, that um, they, they certainly can tell that this is the same planet that's discussed in them. 
I just want to touch on the Sumerian uh, tablets for a moment. These these are what roughly seven thousand years old, correct? Yes, that's correct. I'd like to, to clarify what the tablets actually say about the Anunnaki. Does it actually describe the Anunnaki? Does it describe them as being extraterrestrial? What does it tell us about them? So, um, the tablets were found in Iraq uh, between 1894 and 1900, um, 30,000 of them. And about seven or 8,000 have been, have been deciphered, have been um, translated to English and several other languages. And they've had linguists uh, from the University of Pennsylvania, Samuel Noah Kramer is one of them, um, that has translated them. Zakaria Sitchin, um, one of you know one of the one of the greatest authors in this space, um, has certainly translated. And yes, they do directly discuss the Anakim, uh, the Anunnaki. Anakim is also mentioned in the Bible in the Old Testament um, several times, um, actually about seven hundred times. Um, so yes, they 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 mention them directly. Um, they mention that they are humanoid. That they are approximately nine feet tall, uh, bearded, uh, pale skin, blue eyes, blonde hair, typically either blonde or red hair, um, very muscular, um, speaking a, a dialect similar to Hebrew, and um, very power hungry, um, very similar to humans today. Um, there are there are sects section sects that are power hungry and uh, warlike, and then there are sects that are caring and loving and um, want to educate the, their offspring, basically, the, the humans. Um, and so, yes, they're, they're directly discussed in the tablets, um, and Enki and Lil are two of the main characters um, in, in, in the Sumerian tablets, Enki being sort of the, um, the pro-homo sapien, pro-human uh, god, with a small g-god, and Enlil being the the, the, the tough, uh, I, I believe him to be the, the god of the Israelites, um, jealous god, uh, creating war, and possibly even uh, setting off nukes it, in, uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. So, yes, directly discussed several times their life, their history, where they come from, why they came to Earth, which I, I find is fascinating, um, sort right. of on the same path as, as Earth. And, and yes, so, so many, many times discussed. And uh, the, the purpose of them being here has to do with uh, a gold mining operation, which yep. which connects to their 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 atmosphere, which requires gold part gold particulates. Correct. That's right. Exactly right. This they I believe that they uh, nuked their atmosphere um, to the point of losing their ozone. And even though they're so far away from our sun, uh, from Pluto. Uh, they still have another sun, so they're a binary s- sun system. Um, they have heat within their core, which keeps the planet warm, uh, but they still nuked their atmosphere, their ozone layer depleted. They needed some sort of metal um, to blow up into the atmosphere that was light enough to uh, push back heat uh, because they were getting irradiated. They were dying uh, from radiation, so they needed some metal. Uh, that they could uh, use to blow up and to push back to hold back the heat. And metal, uh, gold is perfect because it's uh, it's thin, it's malleable, um, it sustains heat. You know, we see them on all of our telescopes and our satellites. Um, 
and our um, you know and our rockets, um, we use gold on the outside to keep it as a heat shield. Um, so it's it's the perfect metal, and they didn't have that on Nibiru. Uh, they, they found it. It's funny. They, the, the Sumerian tablets mentioned that it was very prevalent um, in what they call the hammered bracelet, which is our asteroid belt. And they actually tried. It's amazing, Richard. They, there's a, there's one tablet uh, which I couldn't find a good picture of for my book, but one tablet actually shows the picture of a V-shaped rocket um, navigating through uh, past Pluto. Uh, and through the hammered bracelet and trying to get through the hammered bracelet um, towards Earth. There were dots towards Earth. And um, they had a lot of trouble getting through the asteroid belt. Many of their ships were destroyed. So that, that initial mission uh, failed because they, they wanted to land a ship on one of the, on one of the asteroid belts and, uh, and mine gold, but they couldn't do it. So they ended up then going to Mars, um, creating a way station there, and then from Mars uh, to Earth. And it was very, very, they found it to be very prevalent um, in Africa initially. How did they know they would find gold here? Yeah, that's a good, very good question. I think that they initially sent out missions, uh, from what I've read, they've sent out, they sent out missions of uh, uh, one of the Anunnaki named Alalu was, uh, I guess, one of their first um missionaries and he he literally would fly around in space to, to to find where gold was as far as how he knew how it was on earth i don't know i guess he had some detector that was able to to pick it up but i'm not sure and and so the the actual gold mining operation involved enslaving uh primitive hominids uh is that the idea yeah, basically, uh, they initially had about 300 Anunnaki, um, 200 of which were called Ejiji in the Sumerian tablets. And the Ejiji were sort of the, you know, the blue-collar workers, the, the, the mine workers that they brought along with them. Um, and the Ejiji were mining in, in, uh, in South Africa um, uh, and digging digging the ditches. And they, they couldn't just use lasers to get through the ground and then get the gold out. They had to do it sort of by mining, by, by manual work. And uh, according to the tablets, after uh, a certain amount of time, I think it was, it was thousands and thousands of years, after a certain amount of time, the Ajiji um, started to get upset and say, you know, look, we can't do this anymore. We're on strike. And um, Enki, uh, which was, you know, one of the gods I just mentioned, um, came up with a solution, brought it to the Pantheon, of gods and said, look, we need to create a slave worker, um, um, a, a humanoid that, uh, that can help dig the gold. And so basically they, they, they tried several times using their own DNA with primate DNA and then failed several times because of the way they were doing it with crystal jars versus clay jars. And then they were inseminating, um, Anunnaki eggs in primate uh, I'm sorry, Anunnaki uh, sperm in primate uterus that didn't work, and then several times, and you know these depictions where you see humans with one leg and humans with three heads, and I, I believe were all true. I believe that they were all mistakes that they went through through the thousands of years from 432,000 BC to about 270,000 BC in trying to create uh, a Homo sapien that's not too intelligent, 
but that could uh, mine and um, hear and 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 speak to a degree, uh, but just do do the manual work. And is there evidence uh, of these gold mining operations? For example, or, or would we we would expect to find evidence of a gold mining operation dating back? 250,000 years ago. Where is yeah. the evidence yeah. for that? Yeah, there actually is evidence in South Africa of gold of mines. Um, it, it's interesting to note that Tallinger, Michael Tallinger, um, has mentioned in several of his books that um, there's actually human bones found 80 feet, 90 feet down um, in these mines um, that are 200,000 years old. And so when I when I read about that, you know, my first thought was, you know, what would any rational human being be caught 80 feet down in a mine, you know, 80,000 years ago. That's not, those aren't the priorities. <laughs> priorities are, you know, getting food, shelter, procreating these things, not digging gold. And, so, yeah, and what about, what, what about the technology? Because this is an advanced, obviously an advanced race, uh, of, of humanoid. Uh, they would, um, one would suppose have access to some pretty sophisticated mining equipment. Ha- has anything like that been found underground? No, you know, I, no, they haven't. They haven't found any sophisticated equipment, um, which I find to be interesting. It, it appears that the Anunnaki took everything back with them, but um, there is direct evidence, and I have it in my book, um, Adam decoded. But direct evidence in the pyramids, the Giza pyramids, where um, there have been huge saw marks, electrical saw marks, nine feet, ten foot saw marks that have been initiated and then there have been a mistake and then pulled out and then started again in granite, in nine foot, you know, deep granite, which is impossible, you know, uh, three, four thousand years ago with copper tools to have to have done. Um, there's also uh, uh, pictures of, of laser holes um, that are, are threaded exactly as lasers are today uh, with diamond-tipped uh, laser heads, and so it's impossible to create these holes through nine feet of granite or dolomite um, without without a without a, a you know a diamond tipped laser um, you know even 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 today's you know what they call these um, these sound oscillating lasers uh, are can't even can't even you know do what they did two hundred thousand years ago. Um, there's a very, very uh, good engineer named Christopher Dunn. I don't know if you've had him on your show before, but he's written several books about the Giza pyramids and about how he believes that they are act as, uh, as machines or acted as machines. And he, he's an electrical and mechanical engineer, and he talks about how um, the thread marks in these holes, in these boring holes, are, are incredible. And um, this, the symmetry within these holes um, basically replicate uh, them using vibratory and oscillating and sound um, to to create 500 times faster drill bits speed than we can do today. So it's just incredible the amount of evidence that that at least exists, you know, in the Giza pyramids. Adam decoded volume two is Leon Bibby's latest book. And um, I want to get back to the, the, the genetic experiment here. Is there anything in the cuneiforms that describes, uh, for example, 
how human DNA was manipulated. Because you, you, you in the book you talk about, uh, for example, the, the 45th and 46th chromosomes. Talk to me about DNA and and the manipulation. So um, the Sumerian tablets talk in, po- in poetic and poetry actually, which is very interesting. But they talk about how Enki produced a human through his, uh, they call it heavenly essence. Um, and the heavenly essence basically is, is DNA. Um, you know, it's talked about uh, basically on, on several occasions throughout the Bible as, uh, you know, the snake-like appearance um, and snake-like um, symbols. But I think the key with me is that after reading Francis Crick, uh, and Hoyle and them cracking the DNA code in 1950. Um, basically, you know, we have 30,000 genes. We have 46 chromosomes, primates have 44. And in one of his books, he basically shows a comparison between a primate DNA and a human DNA. And in between 45 and 46, it looks like almost, almost as if it were either put back in or a fusion. And I show that in my first book, Adam Equals Alien, and it sort of looks like the shape of a of an S. And if you if you would have taken the original primate DNA and snipping out portions of it, which I believe are two specific genes, FOXP2 and MYH16. Those two genes, FOXP2 gave us speech, which primates don't have, and there's a two-molecule difference between... Their FOXP2 and ours, and MYH16, which um, enhances cranial development. And so these two SNPs and ADs were those, in my opinion, those two genes. Although I'm looking for more in my third book, which is called Blood Origins. But um, those two specifically are what Crick noticed and what I also saw um, him show in one of his books. And I just thought it was incredible. But it just looked like a test tube baby, basically where you snip out and tweezer back, um, you know, portions of, of, uh, of telomeres, they're called. Fascinating. And uh, what about, people talk about, uh, um, uh, Nick Redfern wrote, wrote a book about, you know, the blood type and how only a, a small percentage, is it the, is it the RH? RH negative. The Rh negative, yes, mm-hmm. which is not a blood type. That's more of a, a marker, uh, if I'm correct. Yes. Does that figure into into this this theory as well? Yeah. The Rh negative. You're hitting on some very very key points in my, my in book three. Um, so we basically have blood types O, um, which is the most prevalent. We have A, which is the least. B, second least. A B. Um, and within those, O, A, B, and A, B, usually we're RH positive. I know I'm RH positive. The majority of, of human beings, 85% of, of human beings are RH positive. RH coming from rhesus, the rhesus monkey. Adam Decoded, Volume 2, Leon Bibby, my guest. Don't go away. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Reduce stress and enhance your immune system. ESS60 from C60 Evo. C60 is the carbon 60 molecule known to deliver more than 172 times the power of vitamin C, 172 times. ESS60 is the purest form of C60, a known antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory remedy that works. ESS60 neutralizes free radicals from cell metabolization and external toxins to help minimize inflammation and maximize detoxification. Further, people report better sleep, more energy, and renewed mental clarity when they take our ESS60 organic oil. To order your miracle molecule ESS60, click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes for this podcast or go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. C- c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Buy now and save 10% by using the coupon code EVRS at checkout. Again, use the coupon code EVRS at checkout. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess he better say it because of Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Leon Bibby stays with us. Adam Decoded Volume 2 is his latest. So we were talking about uh, blood types and RH negative. I want you to continue on and finish that thought before we move on to other matters. Sure. So uh, four different types of blood, O, A, B, A, B. Um, RH positive, RH negative, RH positive being the most prevalent, 85%. It's believed that RH negative initially stemmed from Cro-Magnon man, which is precisely that the primate that the Anunnaki inseminated or took sperm from to create humans. If, if Cro-Magnon man was in fact uh, RH negative, then that would help to explain partially the reason why there is 15% of humans have RH negative. Specifically, what a, a race of or a, 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 an area in Spain, Morocco, called the Basques. And these people that live in the Pyrenees Mountains, the Basques, have uh, something around 80% of them have RH negative blood. So scientists are bewildered where the RH negative came from. If Darwin were correct and Cro-Magnons eventually through natural selection, mutated into Homo sapiens. Um, first, there aren't any fossils to prove that. But if they did, then um, certainly it would either be mutated out and there would only be a RH positive um, or something, some ex- external event happened um, to continue that because they, they died out. They died out 30,000 years ago. They were 120,000 up to 30,000. So they, they, they outlasted the Neanderthals, but they died out. We know that. So they died out. So if they died out, how did the RH negative then continue to the Basques? We don't know. And for the 50% that are not RH negative, that are RH positive, right. how do we explain so I that? Think that? I think, you know, I think, I think, uh, I think the RH negative, if in fact, did, if it did come from the Anunnaki, which I think is is a very reasonable theory, then that would have 
passed down, and I think Nick Redfern is right on the money, passed down from the original humans, from the Noah, no, the, the, the several Noahs that, that were created, down through, I'm sorry, the several Adams that were created, down through Noah, uh, Moses, Jesus, and then through the bloodlines, uh, specific and, and, and only blood to blood, keeping within themselves. And so I believe that, you know, arch negative is, is an external blood that came, came through and that were kept within bloodlines to maintain power, to maintain history, to maintain, um, you know, familial genetics. All right. Now, uh, I'm a Bible believing Christian and, and I believe the flood was basically God deciding to chlorinate the gene pool because, uh, the, the, the fallen, uh, the fallen angels had uh, commingled with the daughters of men and created this genetic hybrid, these offspring, the Nephilim. And so in the ancient alien theory, how is the flood explained? I mean, is it, is it Enlil basically yeah. upset because Enki created or helped create, I guess, along with um, the Lady of the Earth, uh, Ninma, created this this genetic hybrid? Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. Um, from what I've read in the tablets and the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it seems as if Enlil never liked humans from the start, did, was opposed to the idea of creating humans to begin with didn't want them to be too smart, which is, I think, part of the reason why, you know, we have 90% of our um, DNA turned off, basically, quote unquote, turned off. But he didn't didn't want he didn't like them. They were too quote unquote noisy. It's mentioned in the Sumerian tablets that they they created too much noise. Um, the Tower of Babel, I think, is one of the precursors to the animosity, and. It's interesting. I have in my book, my second book, Adam decoded that there's a depiction in one of the Sumerian tablets of of a missile, and the depiction starts underground and goes over underground, and the, the, the top of the missile, the, the rocket, is above. And so, the Tower of Babel, in my opinion, was an attempt by humans to create a rocket uh, to go up to heaven, quote-unquote. And I think this infuriated Enlil. I think he thought then that humans are getting too smart, um, they want to become, they think that they are gods like us, and something has to has to be done. And so I think that's, that's why they uh, either used an asteroid to create the flood or some other gravitational force that made the Antarctic ice slip and then create massive, you know, waves and, and basically kill 98% of the humans on Earth. This family uh, squabble, I mean, how entrenched was it? What else did Enlil try and try to do to seek retribution on Enki? And to destroy, did he try and destroy the human race again after the flood? Tell me about that. So Enlil and Enki were children of Anu. Anu being the supreme god of the Anunnaki, and Enlil, uh, Enki being uh, uh, the son of Anu and his wife, first wife, and Enlil being the son of Anu and his sort of mistress, 
And there had always been jealousy between Enlil and Enki. Uh, Enki thinking that he should be the, the one sole leader. And uh, Enlil seems to be favored by Anu um, because when they came down to Earth, um, Anu specifically gave en- Enlil... Um, he being the you know the, the god of the earth um, and the, the main decision maker um, in, in 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 the main missile areas, uh, the rocket areas, and where the where the UFOs landed, uh, Lebanon, Israel, um, all the Middle East, and they basically gave Enki Africa. So they sort of gave Enki the, <laughs> the oversight of, of of the mining, which was the toil, the hard work, and Enlil uh, sort of became that jealous god and. Um, overseeing, um, the, overseeing all of the, the ships coming in and out, the energy needed, um, to keep the ships going, which I think was through pyramids, etc. So there was always animosity between Enlil and Enki. And there was infighting between these gods as well. It's mentioned several times, um, in the Sumerian tablets, in the Mahabharata, the Indian, um, um, sacred texts. It's mentioned, uh, the flying Vimanas. Um, shooting each other um, with with missiles of mass destruction. It even mentions nuclear uh, attack uh, on each other um, in in Israel. And there's there's a chapter in my first book, Adam Equals Alien, called Vitrification. And Vitrification shows a picture of a, um, a ma- uh, it used to be a mountain um, in, in Israel in the Negev desert, which is is now almost sliced off as if it were. Um, if, as if it looked like a volcano, and it's just sliced off, and the top having all these remnants of, of uh, vitrified um, calcite and, um, and glass. And um, Israeli geologists uh, have no idea where this could have come from because there's no volcano there, um, and there, there wasn't a, any crater um, signifying a meteorite or anything of that nature. So they are, they're, they're bewildered. There's also... Vitrified glass in Africa, in, in, the, in the deserts in Africa. So um, there's definitely um, proof that there was nuclear um, bombs um, thrown between the, you know, exchange between the Anunnaki and then, in, as it relates to your first question, did, did it happen after Tower of Babel? I think it did. I think I think Sodom and Gomorrah was a direct um, nuclear attack on, on the humans, and you know, um, it's obviously mentioned in. The Bible, uh, where Lot's wife turns around, becomes a pillar of salt, which I find is very, very interesting, because in Hebrew, salt means vaporized. Another word for salt is vaporized. Um, and the words that they used in the Bible, um, basically that the blinding light um, and um, other words um, that they couldn't eat, humans couldn't eat afterwards, became sick, vomited, um, just, to me, are, are, are just direct... Um, it's a direct signification that, that that's, you know, that's radiation from a nuclear blast. And also, that's, lastly, some, I th- that's some sibling rivalry. <laughs> I now have a brother, but I would never do that. Um, <laughs> Hurl around a few nuclear bombs. Uh, yeah, we just put a piece of tape down the middle of our, our bedroom and we say, you stay over there and I'll stay over here. But not <laughs> Aunt Lil and Enki. Um and, also, and what about? I also wanted to say, sorry, Richard, I found it. I found sorry. I found it really interesting. I want to mention this. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer, in 1952, yes. who was the father of the nuclear bomb in uh, in, in New Mexico, 
had a, had a, a, a speaking engagement um, at Rochester, University of Rochester, and he spoke to a big group of people about uh, how he felt after exploding the bomb. And somebody asked him, and it's it's all written down in the in the in the in the meeting. You know, how did you feel about being the father of the first nuclear bomb? And he answered that um, that he was not proud of creating the nuclear bomb, but that this was not the first. And he said right. it clearly. Right. So he knew. Now, what about getting from Earth to Nibiru uh, today? Is that still possible? Do we does Nibiru need to be in our vicinity, or can we use stargates to get there? How how would that work? I think they use stargates. Um, I think um, the pillar of you know the, the the dome of the rock in Israel. I think that that uh, it's my presumption that that is uh, this was a stargate. That that's one of the reasons why this dome is so. First of all, why it was covered with gold was that it was a signification to um, to UFOs that this is a spot. This is a stargate. So I believe, yes, I believe that was a stargate. Um, there are other stargates, um, Chile, Peru, um, that I've read about. Um, but, but yes, a stargate, I think, is the, obviously the most efficient way of, of doing it. I personally don't – I haven't read into how it's done. I, I'm certain that it uses the Einstein-Rosen bridge theory, um, and and that's how they 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 manipulate time and space to to get there. Um, or you can obviously fly at light speed or greater than light speed to get there. Um, not sure how many light years away they are, but um, it's way past Pluto, so I think it would take a, take a long time. In in your book, Adam decoded. You say that Nibiru is heaven. Mm. Explain. I, you know, I, um, I always wondered what heaven was, and I always thought, as a child, and even before I started reading heavily about this, I, I always thought heaven was sort of the sky and the clouds, and I never really pinned heaven as being a planet. And after doing so much reading of the Sumerian tablets, um, I. I feel it's again my only my theory that the Anunnaki were our small g, small g, not big g, gods, plural. Uh, they did create us. This is pre-religion, pre-Judaism, pre-Christianity, pre-Muslim faith. Um, so, um, and if they did, um, and they are from Nibiru, then I believe that the humans that were developed and from them, um, worship them as their god or gods, and that heaven was the place where they wanted to go. I think that this is uh, why the Egyptians embalmed their their dynasties uh, as mummies. I believe that they were um, encapsulating the DNA, and even though that their their bodies died, uh, I still believe that their DNA was um, capable of being reused um, either on the Biru or, or on Earth again. And so I sort of equated Nibiru to heaven. And so I, that's what I think, you know, humans thought heaven was. Is it, is it inhabitable for humans? Can, is it hospitable to humans? 
Would That's it a be? really good question. I don't know. Um, I, I from what I've read, you know, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen. So it's got three of the main components uh, that humans need. How much oxygen? I, I don't know. I do know that the Earth's gravity is such that it, it creates a, a stress on these telomeres, which are connectors between two DNA strands. So the Anunnaki, when they came here, um, were aging quicker than their norm. And they, they lived tens of thousands of years. They, you know, they're 500 million years ahead of us, which is significant. I'm sure that they figured out how to extend their lives almost to, you know, they're living forever. Um, they were capable of dying, which is interesting, but um, they, they were aging here. And I think that, I think that um, there's a, lo- a lot of stress on their body, and that's why they kept leaving and coming back. Um, so I think uh, that humans probably could live on Nibiru, um, maybe in, you know, certain, in, in, you know, encapsulated buildings, but I think it is possible. You have a picture, a photograph in Adam Decoded. It is uh, reportedly the only photograph taken from Nibiru's surface. Tell me about the origins of that photograph. Right. This was, um, I wasn't sure what to, what to believe of this initially, but after showing this to a few of my fellow authors um, that, that I'm from, sort of in a little group of authors that write about the ancient alien um, space, um, they believe that this is legitimate. They, they believe that this is, comes from uh, one of the smaller islands in Norway um, and that it was taken uh, through a very powerful lens. I don't know which camera. Uh, but it's it's passed down through um, through several authors, several UFO researchers, um, uh, apparently a, a couple people from NASA even, and uh, they, they are saying that NASA is basically saying that they're not sure if it's uh, if it's Planet X. But um, other some of the articles from the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, have said that this is certainly possible to be the only photograph. So if, if it is, then it's, it's pretty miraculous that it was taken from Earth. And what is the status of Nibiru today? Do we know? Is it, is it inhabited? Is it a dead planet? Is it a thriving, uh, thriving. Anunnaki civilization? Yeah, I agree. Sure. I, think it's, I think it's thriving just like Earth. I think it's got millions of people. I don't know how many millions. Um, they're humanoids just like us, uh, but well advanced than us. Um, they, uh, they're... They apparently have stabilized their atmosphere. Otherwise, we'd see them more, I think. The, the last Anunnaki left 200 B.C., um, but, but many of them left 2000 uh, B.C., uh, so the last group left 200 B.C. So we haven't seen them for 2,200 years. Um, but, yeah, I believe that they're living there. I believe that they probably stabilized their atmosphere, and they're, they're, they're headed back. They're coming back, folks. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>